Wow, that's pretty intense. Viral. When you think of something going viral, what do you think of? YouTube, a video going viral. What else? Viruses. Viruses. <laughs> yeah. Well, hello, Mr. Downer. <laughs> yeah, those flesh-eating diseases that go around the world. Thank you. Uh, yeah, but that's one of the things that you know, we think of when it goes viral. There's, viral means that something has gone throughout the world, touched lives one way or another, impacted good and bad. Uh, impacted it. I personally like to go with the whole video side of things. It's a little more lighthearted, uh, a little more exciting. Um, but it means that it's reached a lot of people. So I was, uh, I was looking at some of these videos uh, on YouTube. Some of them have, you know, have a thousand views. Then I saw like some had uh, a million views or more. And I was talking to Jeremy down at uh, Fremont he said there's one that had um, like a billion views, which that's crazy. You think of a billion, that's, you know, to me it seems kind of crazy. Anybody know which one that is, by the way? Anybody know the video that got over a billion views? Carter. Yeah, gongom, gangom style. Not going to see that video this morning. Not going to imitate. <laughs> I like joking around, but my joking has a line, and that's it. However, we are going to, I'm going to show you guys. Here's one that had 848 million views. <laughs> Charlie. Charlie bit me. He's going in for more, too. I thought that was pretty funny. 848 million views. People love that, right? They kind of impact their life a little bit. Laughter. Uh, I have another one for you from a number of years ago. And um, for some reason, this one didn't really go viral for some reason. I don't know if you guys want to show that one. <laughs>
Yeah, for some reason that didn't go viral. I'm not sure why not, but I was thinking about videos and that one just always cracked me up. That was done a number of years ago promoting something down at Grace Community in Fremont. Um, anyways, it was funny, I thought. Now imagine, if you can, something going viral that wasn't done through video. You know, we're a, we're a visual people, right? And we've got YouTube, we've got the internet, and so things go viral, they go viral very quickly. Things that happen in the news, for instance, I mean, it's just, as soon as it happens, we've got people with their phones videotaping somebody being dragged off a train, or off a plane, and it's happening almost right away. But imagine something going viral simply by word of mouth. Something that's so powerful, so impactful, so life-changing that it goes throughout the known world in a matter of, in the disciples' case, 60 or 70 years or so. That's the mission that Jesus gave his disciples after the resurrection. He wanted his message of forgiveness of salvation through faith in Christ to be spread throughout the known world. They didn't have videos, they didn't have telephones, they had just simply their voice and their life. And so in our new series that we're looking at viral over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at how the gospel spread through the world, but not just looking at it from a historical standpoint that yes, this actually happened, but then taking the dynamics, the things that took place in the, in the lives of the apostles and disciples and saying, okay, what's that mean for us? How does that impact us? What needs to happen in our lives for that message to continue on? Because as we see, and we'll see, it's something that we're all expected, those who have put our faith in Christ are all expected to bring to our generation, to touch our world. So how do the apostles and disciples do this? What can we learn from them? Turn back to Luke 24. That's where we were last week. We're going to look at Luke 24, and then we're going to jump over to Acts chapter 1. So if you want to find maybe both of those, uh, we're going to be reading out of both of those. Uh, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And uh, he gives us a couple different perspectives here. And we talked about this last week. We kind of looked at the disciples prior to and right after the resurrection. And we were kind of looking at the fact that they didn't seem to get this whole resurrection thing. Um, but then we leave Luke and we go to Acts and we, we start reading through Acts. And we're like, whoa, what happened to these guys? They went from what they were to what they became. And, and how did that happen? Something changed. Something changed in the disciples' lives when it came to who Jesus was, what his mission was, what was expected of them prior to, and it changed after the resurrection. And what I'm saying, what I believe happened, was they truly encountered the resurrected Jesus. So let's look at these verses here. We're going to start in verse 44, Luke 24, verse 44. And then when we get to the end of that, we're going to go into Acts says this, now he, talking about Jesus, said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses 
The prophets, Psalms must be filled. Talking about the Old Testament, all the prophecies and all the things taught about them. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So that was the whole point. That was the whole idea from all the way back in the Old Testament. This was supposed to have happened. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Now turn over to Acts chapter 1. Luke fills us in a little bit more on what all this was and what took place and things that were said. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, The first account I composed, the Gospel of Luke, uh, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, and after he, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking, saying, Lord, is this the time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times and epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. There's that whole viral effect. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and the cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is Peter, and John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all his brothers. So, there was a change that took place. Again, prior to the resurrection, the disciples seem like, you know, they're good with Jesus. They like Jesus. They like hanging out with Jesus. They like to hear what he's teaching. They like the fact that he's kind of given the religious leaders a little run for their money. Uh, they love being a part of the miracles, seeing Jesus do a bunch of cool things. They like being a part of it, but it almost seems like they would rather be onlookers. They would rather be a part of the crowd. They'd rather kind of watch what Jesus is doing rather than really getting involved. You know, they participated a little bit in his ministry, but 
you know, it wasn't like they were catching it and saying, man, let us do more, let us do more. They were always kind of backing off and just kind of would rather be students and onlookers. And the longer they were with Jesus, like we talked about last night or last week, the longer they were with Jesus, it didn't seem to catch until they encountered the resurrected Jesus. And we see this, uh, if you want, go ahead and get into, back into Luke 24 and then go back to John chapter 20 because we're going to look at the same situation, the same um, upper room situation from two different perspectives. But they encountered the resurrection, resurrected Christ. And I really, really want to focus in on that phrase, encounter the resurrection or resurrected Christ. So Luke 24 it says that, um, 45, it says, Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. So Jesus shows up, proves who he is. Remember, he ate the fish to show, yeah, I'm, I'm a human. I'm, I'm who I am. I'm not a ghost. And then reminds them again of what he was been, has been teaching. And then he opens their minds to understand the scripture. Again, up to this point, they had the information, they knew the facts. We know from the Gospels that Jesus, for three years, was teaching them the same basic stuff over and over and again. The uh, angels at the tomb were teaching them and showing them, telling them about what Jesus was supposed to do and why it was the way it was. But now they were given the ability to connect the dots. Now they were given the ability to take all that Jesus had said all the way back from the Old Testament Till now, what all that meant, where the kingdom of God truly fit into that, because remember that was one of their big concerns, are you going to set up the kingdom or not? And they, they get it, it's, it's all coming together. And they realize that they've been given the message of forgiveness of their sins that they're supposed to take to the world, that God is now giving them this message of restoring the relationship with God the Father through the forgiveness of sins, and that was their message. That's what all these three years has all been about, and they get the opportunity to share it. They have the answer to man's greatest needs, forgiveness of sins and restoring a relationship with God. It was theirs. They get to be a part of that, to, to bring that message to them. But what was it that opened their mind? If you go over to John... Someone move John. Where is it? Oh, there it is. John chapter 20. He gives us, again, the same room, same situation going on. He just kind of gives us a little bit fuller understanding, a different perspective, maybe you could say. So John 20, verse 19. says, so when it was evening on that day, the resurrection, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So again, this is John's version of what took place. 
So G- Luke tells us that Jesus opened up their minds. John tells us that that happened because God gave them, or Christ gave them, the Holy Spirit, the one who was going to open up their minds and give them understanding. And this is a new thing that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are doing. Prior to this, in the Old Testament, if you've done any reading in there, you'll see a phrase that the Spirit came upon so-and-so. And so anytime God wanted something special to happen, he wanted to do something miraculous in the Old Testament, his Holy Spirit would come upon somebody. They would then do the thing that God called them to do, and then the Holy Spirit would remove himself. If you're familiar with Psalm 51, a very uh, popular, well-known psalm, King David prays, don't take your spirit from me. He had sinned and done some pretty bad things. Um, had an affair with a lady and had his, her husband killed. And so he was worried that God was going to take his spirit from him because in the Old Testament that would happen. But today, we don't have to worry about that. Today, God's Holy Spirit resides in each follower of Christ. He indwells us. He's in us. He's not taken away from us. And Jesus promises, if you read through John 14 and John 16, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. And in John 16, verse 12, he says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the He, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose it to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things the Father has are mine, therefore I said he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Here's here's this teamwork thing going between the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God gives, God the Father gives the information to God the Son. The God the Son gives the information to God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives that information to us. And the Holy Spirit is going to be with them. He's going to guide them into all truth. He's going to give them the understanding that Jesus was teaching. And notice, and it's important for us today, notice that the Holy Spirit never goes outside of what Jesus has taught. And so for us today, just a little side note, if we hear teaching that's outside of what Scripture teaches, even if someone says, well, I believe the Spirit gave this to me. Listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't teach anything outside of God's word outside of what scripture teaches. Jesus himself said that and we can be confident of that. So he's now telling them, I was going to give you the Holy Spirit. You remember that back in John 16? He breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit. Now they have the Holy Spirit. He's indwelling them. He's giving them understanding. Paul describes the Holy Spirit as God's pledge or guarantee of our salvation. If you remember, we've talked about this Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Paul says, In him, or in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, and putting your full weight of trust on that, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit is a, a pledge, is a promise. He's He's the one who's going to hold on to us and keep us in Christ until the day we enter Christ's presence. Paul also says in Romans, and again, we've talked about this, you'll notice something about me if, um, as I continue to teach. 
I'll refer back to a lot of the verses we've already referred to because repetition is the greatest way of learning. And it's my way of helping you guys kind of meditate on Scripture and get it into your hearts. But Romans 8.11 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, again, talking about the Holy Spirit, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So the Holy Spirit, He is a key component of encountering the resurrected Christ. And He was a key component of the disciples getting this information. But here's the cool thing. In Acts 1, Jesus spent 40 days after the resurrection. I think sometimes we forget that. We think Jesus rose from the dead, came into the room. Hey, yeah, it's me. Look at me. Eat some fish. Look at my hands. You guys are going to be my witnesses. They all walk out to a field. Jesus is gone. But Acts tells us that he stuck around for 40 days. His purpose was to prepare them to truly be his witnesses to this message and his work. Because again, notice in Acts 1.8, he says, you shall be my witnesses. Now don't let that, you know, don't go glassy-eyed over that. You shall be my, you shall be, you shall be my witnesses. There is no hesitation on Jesus' part because Jesus was going back to God the Father. Somebody was going to need to carry on his message to the next generation. And so Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses. Now, they were going to be witnesses. They needed to be good witnesses, but, you know, they could have been poor witnesses. This is a, this is a dangerous step for Jesus to take. It's a dangerous step for Jesus to give that message into the hands of human beings. But they would be his witnesses. Now they would have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, giving them complete understanding of what Jesus was saying. They would be God's chosen messengers of salvation to the world. It was dangerous for him to do because he had already tried this with the nation of Israel. He had given the message of salvation to Israel. But instead, Israel took it, and the religious leaders took it, and they contorted it and changed it and made it so that they gained power over the people of Israel. If you read in the Old Testament, time and time again, God told Israel, you are supposed to be my witnesses to the Gentiles, to those who are non-Jews. In other words, everybody else in the world except for Jews, you were to be my witnesses, and they failed so God says, well, let's try this one. <laughs> and this one he had promised as well, that, that God the Son would come in flesh and be a Jewish man and live a perfect life and bring the message of salvation to the world. And he needed to bring the message of salvation because he was the only one who could accomplish it. And now the disciples understood that they had the mission, that they were given the responsibility to share this message. Remember in Luke, and even John says it, they're up in this upper room, and they were scared, and they were worried, and they were wondering, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. Jesus had just died before him, and, and now we hear that his tomb is empty, but we don't see him, and they don't know what to do with it. They're scared. They encounter Jesus after his resurrection. He gives them the Holy Spirit, 
And that's what the rest of the series is going to be about. We're going to see how that impacted the apostles and the disciples and everyone who became a disciple after as they hear, heard the message of forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God. They returned to the room focused, united, worshiping God, patiently waiting for God's next move. You have to come back next week to find out exactly what that looks like. But here's the deal. When Jesus told the apostles, the 12 disciples who became the 12 apostles, and the other disciples, which disciple just simply means a follower of Christ, when he said, you will be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem and going to the uttermost parts of the world, when he said in Matthew, Matthew said he also told them that you need to go and make disciples make other followers of Christ. That word go means as you're living your life, as you just go through life, you will make my disciples. When he was talking to them, he was also going beyond them to us. Every generation of followers of Christ are responsible to carry the message of salvation through faith in Christ to their generation. There are churches today that are dying because the the generation in that church has failed to do that. This isn't one of them. There is 14 people left in this building. And they said, we need to see people come to Christ. That's the mission that God has given us. How do we do it? Well, wisdom of God came on them and they said, well, there's a, a sister church down in Fremont that's doing it. Maybe we can talk to them. And we joined together with grace, because grace's focus is on seeing people come to Christ, doing what's necessary, even things that may not even make sense at times. Why do you do that? Why do you put a black ceiling in an auditorium? Why do you have to paint a building? Just different things to help people maybe for the first time hear the salvation message clearly. He's talking to us. We are to be his witnesses. We're to go to the uttermost parts of the world. We're supposed to start with our Jerusalem, and we're going to be talking about this more, but we need to start with our world, our sphere of influence. There are people in your life that I'll never be able to interact with because of interest levels or where you work, or, but then there's people that are going to be in my life that you couldn't communicate with. And so we all need to be a part of it. We all need to be sharing this message, being witnesses. Well, how do we do that? It's the same for us. We need to encounter the resurrected Christ. See, I think many Christians are like the disciples. They've come to Christ. They're hanging out with Christ. Nice guy. They like him. Got no problem with what he's teaching. Even like the whole, it's all about relationships, not about religion. You know, I just love being able to say that. You know, it kind of rolls off the tongue. It's kind of a neat thing. You know, they, they love the whole idea of being with a bunch of other people at church and hanging out and, and hearing a sermon, a message. Hopefully it's good. Hopefully it's impactful. They like watching what he does in other people's lives. But for them, it's not connecting. They're not seeing it's their need to be a witness for Christ. Now, I've talked to people about this, and since I bring this up a lot, people, you know, 
talk to me in Bible studies. We talk about it. You know, what are the fears? What are the things? Because like disciples were, before the resurrection, we're scared. We're, we're nervous. And people will say, well, I'm not really sure what to say. Well, we'll be talking about what is it you say. Uh, some people say, well, I'm afraid because I don't know how to bring it up to somebody. And, uh, or, you know, I, I don't want people to reject me and make fun of me. And so those are, those are fears. Those are understandable. I've experienced them. Um, I've been sharing my faith, and in my head, my head's telling me this is a strange message. You know, but you got to fight through that. you got to work through that. But unfortunately, many Christians are kind of stuck there. But I believe that if we truly encountered a resurrected Christ, that little flame in our heart, that little desire that we, we man, I really like to see people come to Christ. I'd really like for people to have what I have. I really do want to talk to people, but I'm afraid. If we encountered a resurrected Jesus Christ, that is just naturally going to happen. It's a spiritual dynamic. It's a spiritual thing because Jesus wants the message out. Jesus wants you and me to carry that message. And so when we do what's necessary to encounter Jesus Christ, he's going to give us what we need to carry that message. And then when we do it for the first time, it's just, whoa, that was really, cannot believe that came out of my mouth. You know? The pastor Harold, you wouldn't believe what I said at work today. It's unbelievable. I'll be like, yes, I understood. I shared that with you. <laughs> no, I won't do that to you. I'll be happy with you. So if you're a follower of Christ here this morning, you've encountered the risen Christ in the sense that you have had your sins forgiven. You've placed your faith in Christ. God's forgiven you of your sins. You have a relationship with him. Because you've taken that step, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. So now you can receive the truth that Jesus wants to teach you. And we have the power necessary to share that message. But then we need to encounter. And how does that look? What does that look like? Well, back in John 14, you don't have to turn there. We'll have it up on the screen. Verses 25 to 26. Jesus teaches us some things about the Holy Spirit and tells us this. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the, Holy, or the, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now he was talking to disciples specifically, we get that, but he's also talking to us. The Holy Spirit, one of his responsibilities is to teach us Jesus' teaching. Jesus was the Word in the flesh. Well, we have his words in paper form. And so when we encounter Jesus, his Holy Spirit is going to give us what Jesus taught us. This is crucial. The Holy Spirit doesn't give you something that you don't have. Okay? So if you're not spending time in the Word, and Jesus is not teaching you from the Bible, then the Holy Spirit has nothing to work with. Because the Holy Spirit brings back to remembrance the things that Jesus taught. It's a relational thing. It has to be, we can't skip any steps, I guess, maybe is what I'm trying to say. He only teaches us Jesus' words. We only know Jesus' words by being in the Word. 
by reading it. So as the disciples had Jesus with them, teaching them, we have Jesus with us, teaching us. And the cool thing is, is we can see how the disciples screwed up, and hopefully we don't do the same thing the disciples did. If you're like me, you go back and go, just like a disciple. But he's given us his word. He's given us the message. And when we know this, here and in here, all these other fears go away. It went away for the apostles and the disciples in the sense that they went ahead and carried it out. They were scared. They were giving their lives for it. We're going to maybe get made fun of. Called the Holy Roller, Jesus Freak, you know, whatever, whatever people call people nowadays. But only He brings it back to our remembrance. This is why, you guys, we teach right from the Bible on Sunday mornings. But that can't be the only feeding that you have when it comes to God's Word. It's not enough to just have me give each of you a little spoonful of God's Word. We like it. It's good. It's, we're supposed to. We're supposed to get together and read God's Word together and pray together and sing together and worship God that way. We're supposed to do that. But that's not enough. When we have our Bible study on Thursday night, 7 o'clock, little advertisement, we're going to be studying primarily. We'll maybe do some other you know, how-to type things, but we're going to primarily study the Bible and not just study the Bible, but I want to show you how to study the Bible so you can be at home taking the steps necessary to find out what Christ has been wanting to tell you. So I'd encourage you to come on Thursday nights. But I'm confident if you've placed your faith in Christ, you have that desire because God's Spirit's in you and God's Spirit wants that to happen. But it's going to take you and me encountering Christ through His Word which can be, you know, it's hard. You guys, you know, I spent the last four years in the real world working a real job. You know, not a pastor where I work an hour every Sunday morning. Um, so, I mean, people have said that to me, so I'm just saying. Uh, you know, I worked at a school. I got up at 4.30 in the morning, got to work by 6, got off at 2.30, had to work overtime. And, and one of the things that's done for me is that I, I, I've, I feel like I've put pressure on people in the past saying you need to be in the Word every single day and you know, blah, blah, blah. And I realized, wow, that was hard to do. It was hard to get up at 4.30, come home at 2.30 and not want to just go right to bed, take a nap until dinner time, you know. And the times that I've sat down and started reading God's Word, all of a sudden, you know, doing this, starting to fall asleep. So I get it. But we need to discipline ourselves that we are in God's Word on a regular basis. We need to be taking in what Jesus wants to teach us, giving the Holy Spirit something to work with so he can give us understanding. So then when it comes time for us to share that message, to bring the message of Christ to a world that needs him, to friends, family, co-workers that need him, that we'll have the boldness to do that, that we'll be able to take that step of faith, see God's Spirit put us on like a glove and give us the words to say, to the person that we're talking with. Let's go ahead and stand. Close our service in, in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this morning and 
the opportunity, Lord, to, uh, again, look into your word. We have such an incredible privilege here in the United States that, Lord, we take it for granted and we confess that is wrong, that our brothers and sisters throughout the world, they're experiencing what the disciples experience. We have Christians in the world that are being beheaded, that are being jailed, that are being beaten up, churches being bombed. And I confess, Lord, there's times that I haven't shared my faith in you because I was afraid of what somebody might say to me. And if anybody in the room should know what your word says, it should be me. I'm the one who studies it during the week and brings a sermon and Bible study weekly. Lord, I would just pray for all of us here that we would, that this wouldn't be a, a downer, but this would be an exciting thing. The fact that we get to spend time with you in your word and your Holy Spirit wants to personally teach us what your word has to say. And as we go out to a world that needs you, we can be confident that we're going to have the words to say, we're going to respond the way you want us to respond, and we're going to see people have their eternity changed. We have a relationship with you, eternity in heaven one day. But Lord, I just pray that you would motivate us, that you would encourage us that you would just put that desire in our hearts and then as we are faithful to you that you would ignite that and allow us the honor and the privilege of bringing the message of Christ to this world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Hope you have a great week. Go out there and impact somebody for Christ. Thanks.